So welcome back to the Fairly Lame Podcast. My name is Dom, as always, and this is your week's dose of feel-good conservation environment-related news stories. Every Monday, 3 p.m., Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube. If you are listening on audio only, over on YouTube, we have a screen recording set up. So if you want to read the articles along with me, um, yeah, mate, feel free to do so. Sometimes uh, not the best, don't have the best reading skills. Um or picture painting ability. But anyway, this week we have, most of our stories are focusing on Australia. So if you live overseas or you've just got some good news websites, I don't know, please let me know down in the comments below if you come across any cool news stories. I do try to keep across quite a few of them. I think I've got like 30 uh, tabs saved and literally almost crashes my laptop every time I try to read the news. Um, But yeah, please let me know down in the comments below. And for today's news stories, uh, all these links will be in the bio or description, as well as timestamps if you want to uh, skip to a certain period. Some of these stories might be a bit on the older side. I think this first one, 29th of September, so just over a week old. I was out of action, was up in the holy city of uh, Canberra, the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful nation's capital. Actually was incredible this time of year. There's no snow up there, unfortunately. Normally, it snows up on the uh, the amazing Namaji or Brindabella Hills, Brindabella Mountains. Um, but yeah, incredible. One of the great towns of Australia. Uh, and then honours is getting pretty hectic. For those of you who don't know, I'm doing an honours project, which is just like a conservation project. I'm using camera traps in coastal dunes. Uh, got a couple recaps on whatever platform you're listening to this on about how it's been going. I think we'll do a review I don't think we'll make another potty until then, another honours potty until then. And we might do a bit of a sit down, what my experience was like, you know, the old hindsight. Um, Yeah, break up the year. And yeah, we might even have a special someone coming on. We'll see. We'll see how we go. Can't promise anything. Um, But yeah, if they do come on, we'll be great value. And you're welcome. So today's stories. We've got the uh, first two over in the great Western Australia. So some seagrass restoration is going on, throwing millions of seed into the ocean to help support this fragile ecosystem. Seagrass is incredible. We'll touch on that in the story. But there's also potentially a nine-month fishing ban in WA. I don't know what's going on over there. If there's been some overfishing issues, if it's you know got to do with weather patterns, something like that. Um, pretty surprising that they'd have to put a nine-month ban in. I'm assuming it's only certain areas over certain ecosystems. But we'll have a read all about that. Then, Yak back on track. You know how we said Canberra is one of Australia's great towns? Well, Yak and Dander is well and truly up there. I think they're 60% powered by renewable energy and their goal is to be 100% powered by 2024, I want to say. And yeah, fully community-led. Initial funding actually came from a petrol station. So we'll touch on that uh, in uh, story number three. And then early closure of a coal-fired power station a decade early, saving heaps of emissions. I think it's something like 200 million tons of emissions. We'll touch on that one. Absolutely incredible. Down in uh, somewhere in Victoria. Don't know how, uh, don't know where, sorry. And then echidnas superpowers, looking into some new research about their sensory capabilities, how they track down food using that beak of theirs. And then finally, GPS tracking rhinos to better inform conservation. Also, comment down below what your favorite story of the day was, and also if there's any species, any initiatives that you want to, uh, you know, a bit of a focus on, a bit of a spotlight. Um, and yeah, make sure to check out at fairlylame underscore on uh, Instagram and uh, TikTok, posting about four videos a day on TikTok. It's been a bit less at the moment, just with honors. Haven't been able to feel, film that much. And then Instagram, we chuck up some uh, news uh, carousels, couple reels 
here and there. Uh, yeah, a great way to stay up to date uh, with your favorite podcast. Also, shout out to Mojo Kombucha. I don't know. I have heard kombucha's a load of shit, but anyway, this one tastes good. It's so much better than Remedy. Um, so Mojo Reach, not an ad, but fuck, wish it was. Mojo Reach out. I need to start having as many products in camera, in a frame that I can for, you know, hey, when we make it, man, we're going to have a sponsor for everything. We're going to have a mic sponsor, uh, clothes hanging sponsor, uh, a, uh, what do you call it? What are they called? What are they called? Clothes hangers. Clothes hangers, clothes hangers sponsors, bloody map sponsor, desk sponsor, lighting sponsor, everything. We'll be, uh, we'll be monetizing this out of the buttocks, but it's all in the name of of the fairly lame animal sanctuary coming uh, coming to you soon in 20, 2030. We'll give us eight years. And uh, if you keep listening, we'll give you guys an animal sanctuary uh, respectfully. Don't know why I said respectfully. But anyway, so the first story, uh, Australia, uh, not Australia's, WA's crayfish rely on volunteers to drive Australia's largest seagrass restoration project. So who's this big fella? Uh, University of Western Australia professor Gary Hendrick uh, so he and a group of volunteers are working to throw millions of seeds into Western Australian waters. The seemingly unremarkable plant plays a significant role in marine ecosystems. Uh, seagrass meadows capture carbon, protect coastlines from erosion, <laughs> and act as nurseries for iconic WA species, including pink snapper, dewfish, and rock lobster. Also, side note, I think I've mentioned this before, did a breakdown on uh, blue carbon, which uh, is just like marine ecosystems which store carbon and seagrass is incredible. Stores it faster than terrestrial and there's no fires underwater so it can't burn down. So in a bid to help some fish populations recover, the WA government has proposed a controversial fishing ban, which we'll touch on next, which is, going, uh, under, which is undergoing consultation until September 30. Uh, so, Professor Kendrick says seagrass restoration could play a significant role in boosting the recovery effort. A lot of ju- juvenile fish settle into seagrass first. Uh, they live in the seagrass meadows because there's a lot of food for them, he said. All hands on deck to help rehabilitation. The seagrass restoration project in Cockburn Sound, just south of Perth, relies on hundreds of volunteers. What a name. Uh, fish Habitat Restoration Organisation, Ozfish, who led the initiative, says it's the largest and longest-running project of its kind in Australia. The not-for-profit are actively recruiting volunteers to participate in the Seeds for Snapper project at uh, that wonderful location. Don't want to get demonetized. Not that we have ads. Anyway, back to the show. Back to the show. <laughs> Volunteer divers uh, collect seagrass fruits, and grow, which grow once a year in November when the weather warms up. The fruits are taken onshore for processing before the seeds inside are dispersed back into the water at strategic locations these are big seeds for seagrass bloody hell i wonder how tall this seagrass is because it kind of looks like that seaweed that has those air pockets in it i don't know if you know what i'm talking about um but yeah like the 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 floats which help it grow vertically underwater rather than sagging down so researchers say the community engagement has allowed restoration efforts to begin scaling up to an ecologically relevant scale dive coordinator tanya duthwaite uh said there are Many ways volunteers can get involved. You don't need to be a, di- a diver to be involved. You can help with lookout. You can help out with collecting rack from the beach in part of our other projects, she said. So rack is kind of just like washed up 
marine matter. Also, sorry if the reading is a bit strange today. I am feeling so tired and every word looks foreign. Unique biodiversity hotspots. So seagrass restoration is one of 31 research projects being carried out at the Cockburn Sound Inlet. It's part of the WA government's long-term plan to grow its trade network by building a new port. More than 3,000 hectares of seagrass were lost between 1960s and 1980s because of industrial development in the area. The collaborative marine science programs are hoped to allow new developments to proceed while protecting the sound's marine environment. In Western Australia, we're in a global hotspot in biodiversity and endemism, which means species that are just local to uh, that area in our own backyards. Cockburn Sound is an amazing system. It's a place of great value. Again, highly recommend checking out the Blue Carbon uh, Rundown. I think it's, um, yeah, it's on every platform and I think I've pinned it in my Instagram bio at Fairly Lame as well. Talks about all the uh, benefits of Blue Carbon in just like a two minute, I think it's two minutes, three minute video. Um, but yeah, super important. So now let's have a look at this fishing ban which was proposed and, proposed, and they did say that it was, uh, I guess, finishing review or public comment, whatever it was, by September 30. And now it's the 7th of October. So next week, I will find uh, if there's been any advancements, any alterations, and we'll have a look. So the WA government pushes ahead with nine-month fishing ban despite draconian label. What fish is this? A bald chin groper. There you go. Um, so some of the toughest fishing rest restrictions seen in Western Australia are a step closer to being implemented, closing a 900-kilometre stretch of coastline to some recreational fishers for up to nine months of the year. So it is just recreational, which does seem strange because surely they're taking the, like, the least of them. Maybe it's got to do with recreational fishers are catching species closer to shore when they're younger, more juvenile, um, or breeding maybe. I don't know. Um, the West Coast demersal uh, scale fish fishery, okay, is home to over 100 types of demersal. What is demersal? Bottom feeding. Just keep reading, buddy. Or, bo or bottom feeding fish. And the WA government has serious concerns about the sustainability of some key indicator species in the fishery, such as dewfish and pink snapper. Public consultation on a new management plan to reduce fishery catches by 50% to improve sustainability closed yesterday. Government officials will now meet key stakeholders to finalise a management plan, which is uh, scheduled to be implemented this summer. So interestingly, old fish are missing. Fishing uh, Fisheries Minister Don Punch said an assessment of demersal fish stocks uh, released last year flagged a shortage of older fish which were the population's most important and prolific breeders. Uh, when we get that imbalance in age range of the species, that's when the vulnerability really starts to creep in. Uh, there's a lot of effort, uh, there's a lot of fishing effort out there, and when it's focused on that younger group because of the lack of older fish, then we're potentially losing the fish that are going to be big producers into the future. Mr. Punch said the demersal fishery was placed into a 20-year recovery plan in 2010. But despite previous cuts to fishing limits, the assessment of the fisheries showed uh, stocks had not recovered fast enough. Recreational and professional fishing groups agreed earlier this year that the catch needed to halve from 750 tonnes annually to 375. So you, I'm sure you're all aware people are, you know, kicking, kicking the stink up about this. And I'm, I'm assuming a lot of the perspective would be 
surely attack the big guys because that's kind of my first idea when reading this like surely you know you might have your own views on fishing and whatnot uh, but yeah surely you'd go after the bigger people rather than the people that are just going out on the weekends you know teaching their son or daughter or whatever to you know teach a man to fish feed him for however long uh that goes for uh rather than yeah i don't know this it's a bit strange um but the government's plan of a long recreational fishery closure to achieve that catch reduction has sparked uh sparked outrage two options were provided for public comment that would see the fishery open to recreational fishers for 94 days or 123 days per year Andrew Rowland from Wreckfish West said his group had suggested alternative methods for the recreational and charter catch to be reduced to its allocated 135 tonnes. We object uh, to the simplicity of this draconian blunt measure of nine months of closures across the board. West Australians spend $1.8 billion every year on their fishing activities, and this is a major important fishery as part of uh, expenditure. West Australians spend $1.8 billion every year on their fishing activities, and this is a major important fishery as a part of that expenditure. And so the flow-on impacts, the impacts through the community, jobs and businesses, well-being, fishing clubs that are closing down will be massive. Wreckfish had proposed specific localised spawning closures for dewfish, pink snapper and bulging groper, as well as a range of other methods such as a school-term fishery closure. See, that's not a bad... Not a, oh, I mean, that's not much. Or, oh, actually, no, that is. I thought it was school holidays. School term, that's not bad. That's not bad. I wonder how much that would... Because um, then you got all summer, but maybe that's breeding season and maybe that's when they need the most uh, protection. However, this package was rejected by the government uh, who said it was assessed at only reducing the recreational catch by 20%. My obligation is to the sustainability of the fishery, uh, he said, rather than... The locals trying to catch their uh, their little share. I've got no desire to upset fishers or take away the experiences. It's incredibly important, but equally, if we don't act, there's no fishery in the future. Along with a 94-day or 123-day recreational fishing season, the government's proposed recreational management packages includes a range of supporting measures, such as changes to daily bag and boat limits, removing size limits for demersal fish, with uh, high post-release mortality rates and uh, education programs to support fish beha- to support fisher behaviour change towards responsible fishing practices. It is interesting about that second point here: removing size limits for demersal fish with high post-release mortality rates. So I'm assuming they're saying that. Um, I guess my understanding is that even if you do catch an undersized fish, the process of catching that fish getting it on board uh maybe where the hook ends up is more detrimental to those fish so when you release them they're just going to die anyway um yeah bloody hell i don't know i love it they're taking the first step i haven't heard of this happening anywhere else in australia i doubt it'd be the first of its kind but i mean on such a big scale um and having a massive saving on fish cash i think it was halving it from 300 from uh 750 to 375 something like that yeah 750 tons to 375 i'm assuming there's going to be a lot of research going on in the background as well so that's going to make for some uh really important or really interesting reading down the line but a 900 kilometer stretch of coastline um 
Yeah, I'm just surprised. There would have been a lot of pressure. And often, especially here in Australia, you do see the government's buckle under a bit of uh, pressure, a bit of backlash, especially from some uh, particular, you know, groups of people. Um, but looks like they've uh, stuck to their guns. Maybe it's because it hasn't impacted uh, large-scale fishing. Maybe if it was, you know, bigger fishing companies, that's when you have the issues with the government uh, bending over for a couple uh, couple dollars. But anyway, anyway, it's good news. It is all positive here, all good news. And we're going to the great country town of Yakandanda in Alpine, Victoria. Having a bit of a look, a bit of a case study about how this country town reached 60% clean energy use and its plans to be totally renewable. So nestled in the foothills of the Australian Alps is a small town with huge energy ambitions. Yakandanda, a 25-minute drive south of the Murray in northeast Victoria, uh, has been has its sights set on being entirely powered by renewables by geez, getting emotional, man, by 2024. Behind this lofty goal is a volunteer-run gross Grassroots, grassroots, grassroots group called Totally Renewable Yakandanda or Try. Try has been working on boosting Yakandanda's renewable energy generation since its inception just eight years ago, when a group of locals banded together to reduce the town's carbon emissions, increase the reliability of the network, and save residents and businesses some money. At the time, they set themselves a target of having the town affectionately called Yak uh, be totally renewable by 2022. While they didn't hit that goal, an impressive 60% of the town's electricity supply today comes from renewable sources, and they're not done yet. Um, so the president of this group says uh, the, F- the Yak and Dander's renewables uh, have attracted enormous interest from other towns all over Australia and occasionally overseas. So... How did this happen? So interestingly, their first lot of funding actually came from a petrol station, but we'll touch on that a bit later. So it's an old town, and apparently uh, 60% of the buildings have solar installed uh, on their roofs. So that's somewhere between, or somewhere around 500 and 600. One of the biggest rooftop installations is at Yakandanda Health, which includes the local medical centre, residential aged care, and primary health services. It's 130 kilowatt rooftop solar and battery array, plus a few tweaks such as replacing old lights with LEDs and adding insulation, saved Yak Health $35,000 in the first year. They paid off that insulation in just four years, and that $35,000 they budgeted in the first year was enough for them to keep the GP service afloat. I think that's talking about during the uh, COVID crisis. The local fire brigade, kindergarten, swimming pool, wastewater treatment plant, you name it, they have solar and quite a few batteries too. Even the cemetery is planning on going uh, off-grid with a solar battery system and will replace its suite of petrol and diesel-powered gardening gear with electric equipment. Love that. In, uh, indeed, there's solar on all buildings in Yak Bar 1, the courthouse, that um, due to heritage constraints, uh, it isn't allowed to get solar on its roof. Uh, such high solar uptake across Yak, double that of the nation, doesn't just happen on its own. It's a, it needs a bunch of people that are willing to put in time and efforts, plus some cash, to get it off the ground. And in Tri's case, uh, its seed money came from a petrol station. So it wasn't your standard servo. It was conceived in 2002 when the owner of the previous station uh, decided to um, get out of the business. The fear was if folk travelled to neighbourhood, uh, neighbouring towns rather, to fill up their car, they might pick up groceries, run errands while they're there, 
um, which would affect yak businesses. This triggered a bunch of locals to band together and ask, what would it take to keep the business going? They figured if they could get the community on board and raise enough cash, they could build a more modern survey, servo rather, on a bigger site. So they did. They called it the Yak and Dander Community Development Company or YCD Co. I have been there though. I've actually been there. I didn't realize it was uh, such a significant, um, such a significant symbol of change here in Australia. Uh, and because it's community owned, half the profits go to shareholders, while the other half's earmarked to fund community projects. Over ha- over the past couple of decades, the petrol station has provided grants to all sorts of community organisations. From local sports clubs to an animal refuge centre. There you go. That could, hey, that could be the Fairly Lane podcast if you keep liking and subscribing. Uh, one of those was a group of people that came forward and said, well, we want to make Yak and Dander totally renewable. Uh, and Try was born. To reach its target, Try helped household uh, helped householders uh, and businesses navigate solar, battery, and heat, heat pump hot water rebate schemes and organise bulk buyers of panels from suppliers in the region to keep costs down and maintenance local. People who install such systems will still have to pay for them, but Try also applies for government grants and partners with other organisations for the town to be a testing bed of sorts. At the moment, Yakandanda is home to three community microgrids, clusters of houses with solar, batteries and special devices that determine if a property uses solar power directly from its panels, stores it in the batteries, sends it to the grid, or uses electricity generated by a neighbour. The trials were made possible by partnering with a couple other companies um, who, yeah, wanted to place to try their ideas, and Yak was the perfect place. So that is absolutely incredible. Uh, it's, it's funny. It seems it's always the place you least expect it. Um, yeah, just a town in the middle of nowhere. We'll have a bit of a look on Google Maps. Um of where it is, but that's so random. I wonder, I mean, hey, it shows you when people, when people come together, um, just what can happen. Um, and you know, Australia's not just full of hillbillies. Um, there's some incredible people out here. Uh, that's for sure. So where are, so Albury, Wodonga, there you go. So how far is that from anyway? Interesting. Very, very interesting. There you go. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But next, we're having a look at the closure of a coal-fired power station out in Luoyang. I'm pretty sure that's where Holden used to be, potentially. I don't know. AGL will close Victoria's coal-fired power station a decade early. So this is over on The Guardian. Uh, AGL will shut down Australia's biggest single-carbon polluting power plant a decade earlier than planned, changing the closure date of its coal-fired station uh, from 2045 to 2035. The company Australia's biggest electricity generator and polluter is accelerating its exit from coal um, according to a plan released um, to the stock exchange on Thursday. There you go. Buy shares, baby. Uh, what is it? AGL to the moon. The strategy uh, details its transitions to renewable energy after opposition from its largest shareholder, billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks, forced it in May to ditch its plans to demerge. Uh, The company will leave unchanged the plan to shut its Bayswater Black Coal-fired power station in New South Wales' Hunter Valley between 2030 and 2033. AGL predicted it would have the largest portfolio of renewable energy and storage of any listed company in Australia. Uh, The early closure of 
this particular uh, power plant could avoid 200 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent uh, emissions, the company said. We have the ambition to supply up to 12 gigawatts of renewable energy and firming capacity to t- uh, up to 2036 to meet our customer demand, estimated to require up to a $20 billion investment. One thing that's always confused me about when they're talking about renewable energy is people love to throw up uh, all these numbers like uh, 12 uh, gigawatts, 130 kilowatts, all this stuff. But it's I don't really have a bear. I don't know what that means. I don't know if 12 gigawatts is a lot. Uh, from the sounds of it, it is if it's going to cost them $20 billion. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Doesn't sound that hectic. Surely you got to put a bit of a uh, bit of drama in there. 12 gigawatts. Surely add a couple zeros. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if... I doubt this is a fucking hot take. I'm I'm sure people much smarter than me have come to this conclusion. But I wonder if a lot of these uh, power companies, which are, you know, or not protesting, I guess, uh, lobbying against the switch to renewables, I wonder if it's all just about buying time, you know what I mean? Like, you might as well... In their eyes, you might as well push it out, push out this switch for as long as possible. It's it's coming. Everyone knows it's coming. Um, you know, people like to chuck up the the flaws that are common at the moment, but obviously, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. Things are going to get better. Um, but yeah, I'm assuming that these guys they're lobbying. They know they know the direction it's heading. Obviously, they want to maximize the money from their current assets. But yeah, I feel like it's just about buying time. And in the future, jump over. I d- I mean, I'm not going to say I doubt that they don't believe in climate change. But I wonder how much of the scepticism or denial that you do see from some of these bigger companies is more just, yeah, it's just a timing thing. They're not ready to change now. They don't want a rapid transition, um, which obviously isn't good for the environment. um, But hopefully it does mean that we do end up getting there. And who knows, maybe in the future we do invent some technologies which allow us to capture more carbon from the atmosphere. Um, Side note, actually... I think I did shout out a couple of weeks ago, The Carbon Club, one of the great books. Uh, if you're like me, a bit younger, um, highly recommend giving it a read. Talks about the old uh, Howard government, all the, just the early days, uh, Kevin Rudd and the carbon taxes, that kind of stuff. The early days in Australia's, I guess, um, lackluster response to climate change, but also a great book called uh, how to talk about climate change in a way that makes a difference. One of the great reads, um, and I don't know, a lot of it I had kind of experienced in my own life uh, related, related to separate things, but s- some of the backlash that you receive from certain individuals um, which may be uh, doing a certain line of work or live a certain lifestyle, a lot of the backlash about... Um, you know, reducing emissions, being more sustainable is because it's a threat to their current lifestyle and it's a bit, it, it, it is like that, I mean, it's perceived as a personal attack, even though if it's not, like, people don't benefit from saying you should switch to emissions, Australia should be greener, like, you know, the common man, like, I'm not, I'm not directly, I'm not making money out of this thing, um, but yeah, what's the issue with being more sustainable? But for some people, their lifestyles would require a, a much larger shift, a much more substantial shift to be more sustainable rather than, you know, like me living here in Melbourne. If I want a great way to cut my emissions, would go jump on one of the uh, carbon neutral trams to get around the city. Don't know how we got there, but yeah, highly recommend those books. Check them out. Um, so in uh, our interim target is to have up to five 
uh, gigawatts of renewables. I don't, I don't know what that means. So, uh, the U, the Luoyang, not the Yuyangs, the Yuyangs is a national park. The Loi, Loi, <laughs> fuck, I'm tongue-tied, man. The Luoyang A uh, in the Latrobe Valley produced 200 or 2,210 megawatts. So this is going to be much bigger. So five, five gigawatts, heaps bigger. Don't know what the conversion is, but bigger is better. So under the targets, Victoria would reach 2.6 gigawatts of renewable energy storage capacity by 2030 and 6.3 gigawatts by 2035. Um, so this plant that's closing down early, we'll try to cut out a lot of this uh, a lot of these numbers, a lot of these details, because it, it might be a bit hard to follow along, especially if you're listening. Um, but uh, the plan that's closing down early in uh, 2035 supplies about 30% of the state's electricity and is the biggest single uh, carbon polluting plant in the country. Nationally, only Origin Energy's plant, um, due to such shutdown in 2025, is larger. So there you go. It seems like heaps are shutting down. And I'm pretty sure I came across another plant which is shutting down in four years 20 i want to say 2026 or it might even be earlier it might have been four years since expected but there you go hey i'm pretty sure queensland too queensland has a 62 billion dollar renewable bit of bunts and bit of investment to make the switch they're gonna you know queensland's gonna be uh, one of the sustainable hubs of Australia, and apparently they're going to convert a lot of these old power stations into renewable hubs. I'm not sure how. They're going to reskill workers. They've got $100 million guaranteed to keep people in jobs and also offer reskilling if they want to. But I'm just noticing uh, the battery on this DGI is starting to go, so we'll have to speed through these last two. But these are two of the great stories. So the first one, sensory powers of a kidnap. But first, a bit of, again... Not an ad, but could be Mojo if you're listening. Uh, shout out. So the secret life of echidnas revealed as native animal uses sensory powers to search for food. So from the deserts to the pine regions, national parks to rugged coastal ranges. Echidnas are waking up from their coastal <laughs> from their coastal slumber. Echidnas are waking up from their slumber across Australia's vast and varied landscapes. Spiky native creatures have been spotted fossicking for food on regional properties and digging holes in gardens as the weather warms up. Also, about this picture, I, I was uh, the last time, not the last time, one time I was coming down from Canberra, down the beautiful Hume Highway, one of the great drives as well, um, there was a echidna in the middle of the road. So, you know, try to be a good bloke, stop the car, pull it over. But I was like 100 metres down the road by the time I stopped. And so I was walking up the road and this thing, I was terrified. I was thinking, I'm going to watch this. I'm go- I pulled over for this echidna and I'm going to watch this thing get fucking hit by a car because <laughs> it ran out. And then like a car like half like followed it and then like sw- it was fucked. Anyway, so we got there, got it off the road. But then I was like, okay, surely just like pick this thing up because it looks spiky but it doesn't look like that spiky. You know what I mean? It kind of looks like, it looks like, you know, it, just like a skewer, you know, like a, if you get a kebab or whatnot, like it looks like, it looks like it could be spiky, but if you're gentle, surely they won't stab you. But I was trying to grab this thing underneath and fuck, it's barb went straight into my finger. Not that deep, but a lot more painful. And then this chick's just holding one up. Maybe she's got it under the, uh, under the arm so you don't have to cop the spikes, but still. I've seen some people just resting them on their hands and it's like, fuck. Jeez. 
I mean, look, podcasting and uh, honors isn't exactly hard on the hands. Um, not exactly on the tools, but hey, geez. Anyway, <laughs> where were we? Um, so, uh, we're smack bang in the middle of echidna activity season, so it's likely you'll see a lot of them foraging for their favorite foods like ants and termites. Um, the highly adaptable animals do not follow a usual pattern of eternity. Uh, act- eternity activity. We're getting tired. The batteries are gone, both on me and the camera. Uh, they're not necessarily diurnal, active during the day, she said. They're not necessarily nocturnal, nor are they crep- crepuscular, active at dawn and dusk. There you go. Um, echidnas were instead temperature dependent and tended to be more active when the weather was warmer in the daytime. But if we get a hot summer's day and they're in a hot climate, up, uh, she says, up north, they're more likely to be active during the nighttime. So echidnas have thousands of electroreceptors in their snouts, which sense vibrations and help the native animals snuffle for food similar to the platypus. Um, I'm pretty sure platypus have receptors in their beak and they can feel the vibrations in the water. So these guys, the echidna, feel around on the ground and use their keen sense of smell to sniff out any food that might be underground. Um, I wonder if it's actually smell or if it is just these vibrations, you know what I mean? Um, the quirky creatures also use a mechanism called torpor that allows them to lower their body temperature, heart rate, and metabolism to conserve energy. It's used during times when there might not be many resources around, and they use energy stores in their body very slowly and bury themselves underground. They often wake up at this again at this time of year because there's plenty of food around and they're starting to breed. Says a picture of one in the ground, uh, and this bloke said, I drove up to the property and thought, what's that bush moving? And then I saw the little fella. Fella? Fella. It was brilliant. I am tired. But the last one. Ah. These uh, GPS-tracked rhinos. I don't know why I'm so tired. It's been a big week. We've had some early start. Actually, no. It's been some late nights. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just, mate. One of, one of Deacon's great students, man. Never stops. Never stops. Um, so the wildlife sanctuary bringing rhinos back from the brink. Rhinos are poached near to extinction in Zimbabwe. Now a private wildlife sanctuary is reintroducing them to places where they once roamed free. Uh, there's no delicate way to bore a hole in the horn of a two-ton white rhino, still twitching under the effects of an immobilization dart to the rump. Um... So, Colin Wenham goes at it with a yellow battery-powered drill. Uh, shout out DeWalt. Each plunge uh, of the whirling drill sends bits... Dwill? Drill. Fuck. Sends uh, shavings of white keratin, the stuff our fingernails is made of, uh, curling through the air. They pile up at our feet like snow in the red African dirt. On the black market, rhino horn can sell for more than its weight in gold. While there's no proven medical benefits, and some uh, some believe its powdered form has near-mythical powers of healing, curing ailments from hangovers to cancer. Um, so apparently sales are increasing in China and Vietnam. Uh, after trophy hunting in the 19th century and rampant poaching in recent decades, one of Australia's most, not Australia's, I wish it was Australia's, one of Africa's most iconic species, the black rhino, has been driven near to extinction. So this all looks a bit hectic. Uh, for those listening on Spotify, there's just some pictures of them drilling into the horn. Uh, what's happening here? And uh, giving some oxygen to the sedated 
rhino's lungs via a plastic tube. Um, so this rhino in particular will keep its horn. And so the GPS, uh, they're drilling a cavity into the horn to insert a GPS tracker, roughly the size of a box of matches at the horn's base. The process looks brutal, but if done above the growth plate, it is painless for the rhino as clipping your fingernails. When the job is complete, it will enable better it will better enable the scientists here at the Wildlife Trust, a 50,000 hectare private nature, private nature sanctuary in southeastern Zimbabwe to track this animal's every move. And so from my understanding, this camera is about to go, but from my understanding, this um, is to better inform future conservation uh, or future reintroductions rather. So if they know which areas of the landscape the rhinos like to hang out in that can you know inform their decision when choosing different either if it's reserves or different nature parks different parts of land which will best suit the rhinos and i'm assuming also in case anything's happening they can know uh where to go in the park to find the rhinos as well initially when i saw the title i was thinking that it might be to track down the poachers you know if someone kills a rhino takes a horn um then there's this secret tracker in there but i don't think it is um, and I'm assuming it would devalue the horn, which, you know, would probably defer poaching as well. Because I do think, um, I do think that is, I'm pretty sure that is a tactic. I don't know if they saw off horns to deter poaching or if there's some other method to destroy the value. But there you go. Sorry if today has been a bit average. I feel fucking that tired, but hopefully it's still good. Bit of a dose of feel good uh news for this week next week we'll be back better than ever this camera is about to go i'm about to go as always head over to fairly lame underscore on tiktok and instagram to keep up to date with all the latest news stories each and every single day and i'll see you guys next week